Hello everyone and welcome to episode 35 of UK League Chat. Uh, this time we're joined by Veteran. Veteran, how's it going? Going good, going good. Happy to be here. Good stuff, good to have you. Um, going generally good for us as well, but you know, it would be better if, uh, like Tom said just before we started, the uh, the riddle result had gone slightly differently, but we'll get on to that. Um, so just before we go on to EU Masters, which is obviously the kind of main uh, subject of the episode, when we have someone new, we do usually do like a bit of an interview, just kind of work out, you know, what they're up to and, and what's going on there. So, um, yeah, we'll start with that, just a bit on, on what you've been up to recently, because you're obviously someone that, you know, was mainly coaching sure. before, but then you kind of branched out, it, it seems, more recently. So what is your kind of focus at the moment? Is it more just sort of the stream? And I, I know you're doing co-streams and stuff like that. Yeah, sure. So for the last a uh, couple of years I've mostly been doing uh, content mostly through streaming as you said um, I also do a lot of solo queue coaching on my discord um, but majority of what I've been trying to do is trying to focus on helping the narrative shift uh, as close towards um, you being a strong rock bed of rookie talent as possible so for that EU Masters has been like a big deal for me. I, I even was on the analyst desk for EU Masters last year, for example, mm -hmm. um, before Riot took it over. And um, <laughs> and for me, the big strength of any region has to be from its uh, from its native talent pool, because you're only going to be as strong as the server in which everyone is commonly practicing on, right? So this is a massive issue North America has right now, is that they don't have a hotbed of talent by default on the North American server. And as a result, it's very difficult for them to, to create a strong practice environment for any of the imports that they bring in, right? Mm -hmm. Which is why North America is essentially a retirement home right now. And the reasoning behind that is that, and, and if you talk to these North American players, you, you, you'll find out they are very aware that they are placeholders for when the orgs bring in an import. And why do orgs do that? Because the market dictates that everyone prefers a European player or a Korean player and blah, 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 which is why people like Huni can get held on like million dollar contracts because you can sell, you can use them to sell ad space to sponsors, et cetera, which is how you make all of your money, right? The vast majority of money made in esports is through sponsorships and advertising. Um, so I, I focused very heavily in the last few years on trying to shift the narrative and thus shift the market demands as close towards um, rookie talent rather than veteran talent, despite my name, as possible, <laughs> uh, because that's the only way really to convince organizations that's where the money is, is by literally creating market forces that mm -hmm. cause them to have to react to that, right? Um, and luckily then teams like Origin came in along and helped as well uh, by completely collapsing and teams like Mad Lions came in taking basically yeah. all the best rookie talents that they could um, and doing really, really well with them. Rogue literally took their entire academy team and then just replaced Warlight with Hans Sammer, which is a thumbs up, uh, and did really, really well with them. Um, right? Like, there, there are a lot of examples in Europe now of all of this, but you have to be able to, like, capitalize on it even when these examples occur. These examples weren't always occurring. Or, in Europe's case, actually, every single year, we always had a rookie team going to the world championships. Mm -hmm. They they generally did poorly in spring, but they would always go to the world championships every year, except for last year when franchising was put in play. Every year they would end up making it in. And despite that narrative, every single year you see the MVP votes don't predominantly go to rookies. You see ex-rookie team doing well being, oh, a massive surprise. A lot of people underrating Mad Lions coming in, not me, but a lot of people underrating Mad Lions coming in, for example. like. 
every year it still is a surprise. The narrative is still shifting further and further towards rookies. So it's not all the way there, but this is the only real counterbalance that you can have. So I've been focusing on that a lot for the last few years. Though right now I can't actually stream. My internet's not really that good. So going on shows like you is like the best way for me to actually start streaming again. Yeah, it's, it's a whole palaver right now. I'm, I, I, have a, I have a 90 set of chess moves to get guaranteed good internet for the next few months, all right? But I'm not going to say what it is because if it fails, people will be like, what did you do that for? But, you know, if it works, it's going to be really cool. So we'll, yeah. we'll see. We'll I, see. I know the struggle I had, um, well, a bit off topic, but yeah, my girlfriend and I stayed in, in a flat for a year where we couldn't get actual internet. We, used, we were tethering from our phones for a whole year. And, uh, oh, yeah, I, not, not I had to do that in London. I had to do that in London, yeah. tether from my phone. Outrageous. And uh, every Elite United episode, I'd be like, ah, oh, can't you like fix your camera and blah, blah. It's like, okay, all the setup's the same, all right? I'm just literally doing this off a dongle, okay? <laughs> it's not really difficult. I think one point which you did bring up was like EU Mass as a whole. Do you think that then kind of creating that narrative there's i, I yeah. feel like every year there's more and more emphasis being put onto eu masters As, yes. uh, i think especially considering like from the right side of kind of doing the uh this split as well they did that the eu masters highlight there's still like content where they at least at the pre-show they uh kind of provided some opinions and there's there's some kind of narratives going in and i do feel like viewership kind of goes up and up now planes was a bit of a mess but hopefully then in like the main event, it kind of sorts out you now we're getting an English broadcast and stuff like that. Like you that's the how... counterbalance though, right? Mm -hmm. That's the that's the counter argument, I mean, right? Like yeah. um, like play-ins was previously fully broadcasted when it was under ESL, but Riot mm -hmm. have the habit of wanting to control literally every single aspect of the scene. And the EU Masters, the ERL scene, um, yeah, you probably shouldn't have put me on this show if you want to get jobs in my world. The ERL scene was effectively a massive blind spot that Riot missed. And it was it, it it came up in spite of Riot because all Riot had to sell was one big homogenous English language broadcast. However, if you are an advertising company, or I mean, you are a company that wants advertising in a specific region within Europe, Riot can't help you with that. But the Spanish league can help you with that, uh -huh. for example. So you have teams in the Spanish league who are sponsored by team by by big organizations like Burger King, for example, right? Like these guys were pulling in the sponsors that Riot could only dream of, but it's because these guys wanted to specifically target their advertising towards region-based areas. And these guys abused the fact that Riot was not doing multi-language broadcasts, was not doing multi-language region-specific leads, and they capitalized on that. The ERLs were essentially a massive blind spot for Riot in that sense. Since Riot have taken control of the regional leagues, we've seen two major developments. One is the EU Masters Tournament, which I'm fully in favor of. I think that's a brilliant deal. Um, but second, after they then took full control of EU Masters, because it's outsourced to ESL beforehand, it has now downscaled massively. And maybe you can put some of that towards COVID, but that's because the resources are still going elsewhere anyway. Hmm. Um, we wouldn't have gotten a planes even if it was at lands in all likelihood, right? Um, we, we likely wouldn't have, or not at lands, but even if it was uh, all held in studio in pre-COVID times, we very likely probably wouldn't have gotten that either. And we've also seen the regional aspects of, for example, the UK League and the Danish Leagues kind of being thrown out the window in favor mm -hmm. of NLC. But that makes sense because the UK League was famously not doing very well anyway, because unlike the Spanish League, the French League, the German League, etc., it couldn't just be like 
oh, now you have an English language broadcast. Mm -hmm. Oh, wow, brilliant. The first time we've ever had an English language League of Legends broadcast, right? Oh, and all the teams are dog shit. So it ends up being like 100 to 200 viewers stream for ages. Mm. You guys remember how it was initially? It was legit yeah, like the it was, finals it get like 180 yeah. viewers. It was insane, actually, how low viewership it was. And once you get over towards Nordics, uh, Counter-Strike is the dominant force there. If you are getting into esports, why would you get into League of Legends in, in mm -hmm. Denmark? As an advertiser, you wouldn't. Um, so despite the fact that we get like a lot of Danish players or Swedish players, for example, in League of Legends, the community, the audience there doesn't quite exist. So the NLC is actually a really good compromise that I actually do yeah. support. But um, on the EU Masters side of things, I think with Riot's involvement, we've actually seen like a decrease in how much priority we end up putting on the EU Masters broadcast itself. Mm -hmm. However, the, the the reality of the situation is for these rookie players that while they are getting good exposure to the public, generally speaking, organizations only really focus on the last four members of the EU Masters, right? Like it's very rare that coaches will have uh, will have watched more than that. It's very rare players will have watched these at all, but it's not really their job to. But we still kind of devolve to players a lot anyway. Mm -hmm. um, so despite the fact that Riot isn't really focusing on planes, etc., it makes sense from a marketing perspective because most people do just focus on the final four teams, regardless audience included, and there isn't really much money in the planes. So then it becomes the job of people like us to try to shift the narrative towards mm -hmm. all the other teams as well. And it's that's always going to be the tug of war, right? Because if we can shift the narrative towards favoring them, we can shift market forces towards being towards being in a state where Riot are like, you know what, maybe we shouldn't ignore the play-ins uh, and then things can go really well for the rookies and the play-ins but there is no monetary incentive for them to, to do anything like play-ins right now and more or less they just want full control of their IP mm -hmm. is why they're involved in the ERLs at all they just missed this other people came in so now Riot come in and are like all right okay you know what we are actually in on all this now fuck it let's do this um, but they're, they're in it because they want the sponsors everyone else got that Riot missed in the first place. And I think you're completely correct, especially when you mentioned like the SLO in the Spanish scene, yep. uh, because the Spanish scene is is its own ecosystem where you you can create a good brand, a solid brand, and and uh, maybe not be like uh, very uh, have like a great revenue stream, mm. but a revenue stream nevertheless. You know, I believe G two R to have chips ahoy, you know, and that there's other kind of Spanish brands which are also linked with the the Spanish. So, uh, yes, yeah, that's what I mean. So yep. it kind of shows yep. that there is like. Um, there, there, there is kind of an ecosystem which you can create a sustainable mm -hmm. ecosystem you can create which isn't just lec and i do yeah. believe that then kind of riot has seen that and then thought well okay well our priority was the uh the lec let's try and you know work our way down and and, and things like that obviously we don't know about the relationship between lvp and riot obviously with what happened mm. with the uk scene and stuff like that but like <laughs> uh, yes, that's, LVP, that's a UK. different thing um but you kind of hope that when they did it when they've had this relationship with DreamHack uh, that that kind of will help the UK scene. You are correct though about the uh, the Nordics CS:GO. Uh, it's it's yeah. so heavily CS:GO and, and and those type of games that you even look at like the sides which came into the NLC. It's Ents and Godsend who are primarily you know CS:GO kind of those style sides because and that is because that is a branding opportunity for them to hopefully reach into it. Vice versa, it's great for the NLC because then you're getting these uh, two popular sides in Denmark also going in. And so hopefully that can build the league up as a whole because it is all about kind of having the right teams and then also having the right ecosystem around it. 
I, I enjoyed working with DreamHack. Um, I didn't hear very good things about LVP UK, but I never personally worked mm. with them. But I had a lot of, I, I had a good time working with DreamHack. They treated me very well. And I had a really good time working with ESL as well. I will probably never be able to tell you what it's like working with Riot, but but you know what, maybe we'll, <laughs> maybe we'll see one there. <laughs> Just while we're on the topic of the NLC, then you mentioned about, um, yep. you know, it could be difficult to for Riot to pull in sponsors and stuff. And um, uh, we've talked before as well how the viewership hasn't probably been quite where they'd where they'd want it with the merger going yeah. on. Um, what do you see that they could do to, to maybe push it that bit further? Because from my perspective, I, I see that, I think the general level of play has actually gone up quite a lot. Obviously, the, the player sure. pool is, is much yeah. better than it was in the UKLC or in just, you know, Nordic Championship. Um, do you think that's enough that, that just that will pe- people will take notice? Because, you know, it looks like the what could have helped, obviously, with that better player pool, we've got better teams would maybe be a couple of decent EU Masters runs for people to take notice, but we're kind of, obviously Riddle mm. have, uh, have meant that there's only a chance of one anyway, and it will just be Fnatic again, who have obviously reached the semi-final a few times, and it that obviously yeah. hasn't made that much difference. So, um, yeah, what yeah. do you see they could do to maybe push it a bit more? Yeah, I mean, like, results aren't really the thing that allows leagues to be popular anyway. That's never been the case. Um, these 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 leagues existed long before um, EU Masters ever a thing again, right? Like, these these things existed because there was a pre-existing community there. So the Spanish and the German scene exist because there was a massive market there that Riot never exploited. So a private company came in and was like, you know what, we're going to... We got well, as opposed to a public company. Well, I came in and was like, um, came in and was like, you know, well, we'll we'll take all the sponsors and the money and we'll do our own broadcast and we'll do it my own way. Blackjack and hookers and Riot came in and was like, okay, screw the blackjack and the hookers, you know, blah blah blah. <laughs> the 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 thing that unites all of these guys though is that the big popularity areas um, were twofold. Either they were with uh, national players that they could identify with uh, in a way that they can't with a lot of the LEC players majority because they speak their own language and come from their own country right so d'antonio mm-hmm. is absolutely massive despite playing only two champions yeah. competently right um no way is is massive as well and for some weird reason this competitive team actually did really fucking well for some sort of reason that is that is legendary now um but the thing that a lot of people miss is that the broadcast talent all like massively benefited from this because they became the things that if you weren't following the players you were definitely tuning in for the broadcast talent themselves Mm -hmm. so summoners in is a massive example of this right summoners in is almost entirely based around what the lec are doing right now but like on crack cocaine right like what the lec doing right now pales in comparison what summoners in was doing back in the day they had their own fake documentary about their own like fake professional team right spandau inferno <laughs> you were following this shit as a german because you identified with these germans you you obviously felt more comfortable like watching them than watching some random english fart who like barely understands the game anyway like what the fuck are you getting from this and they were doing comedy they were doing comedy they were doing skits they were doing drama they were doing consistent stuff though right not your average rap battle or something there were consistent shows that they were doing with loads of continuity uh, that they would even reference on broadcast and stuff right and the spanish scene ended up having its own identity of its own casting team as well what riot have done we can talk about the french scene later because I, I i i hate what happened to the french scene um what, <laughs> that, what... yeah that's bad that's yeah. bad what 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 DreamHack have gone for, I should say, not what Riot have done. What DreamHack have gone for is trying to get an initial viewer boost by grabbing on like popular casters from the Riot broadcast and me. And uh, <laughs> this can work um, for the initial viewer boost, but you need to give them a reason to stay. 
And the flip side by having these people on rotation is that they haven't allowed their casting team to create that kind of an identity as well. I think if you give people a reason to come onto NLC, it's going to come from caster content, uh, from making them not just like a family internally, but from making them a sort of continuity that people want to come in and follow. Because there's no way, like you can you can put it like any way you want. There's no way that you're going to be able to get people to tune in to watch Moomoo's play as much as I love the guy, right? You're not going to be able to get them to come in to watch him over watching, say, Tolkien plays getting a lot of hype right now um, or Sleeping play or any of these guys play, right? There's no, there's no way you're going to be able to beat these other leagues on an individual player level and use them to get people in. But maybe you can beat their content. And the content is where all of these leagues have created their following from that the NLC actually has a window to do so in. But by doing these rotations that they did, whereas they may get an initial viewer surge, they haven't allowed their own internal casting team that they're going to use week in, week out from creating that identity. The LEC has begun doing that identity for themselves in the last year, and it's been incredibly successful. Everyone loves the LEC casters. People will tune in for the LEC content mm -hmm. as much as they'll tune in for fucking jack troll right like this is this is the area i think the nlc needs to focus on if it wants to create viewership uh and they they haven't started yet because of because the aforementioned delays by getting all of the popular people rotating on but if next year they focus on that maybe they can create an identity or even in the off season because in the off season you can do a bunch of content with the casting team right that has nothing to do with them you can do your own kind of spandau inferno thing don't just directly nick the idea guys <laughs> but think of your own think of your own thing right like i remember a really cool polish thing that i could never understand the word of because i don't speak a word of polish one of the hardest fucking languages i'll ever try to learn i swear to god um where they 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 had their own like team but they would get like coaches like veggie and stuff to come in and like coach them on stream and stuff and you could as a viewer like win the opportunity to come into their gaming house and be one of their players and you'd be like on the show and shit like this you know people are doing this kind of content outside of the nlc the nlc is just a worse version of the lec right now which makes it an astronomically worse version of all the erl broadcasts you know at least start trying uh -huh. and that's the area where you can get viewers that doesn't rely on you having an identity that the lec has already cultured in terms of you know oh we speak english there you go brilliant because mm -hmm. that's literally where everyone else has the advantage on they had that advantage just do content guys that's what i think they have to do i do think that there was there was a couple of videos which they did and i think one was taiki talking about how he was going into football and then uh, and it was like a proper like sit down interview and that and, and i thought that was really good because i never knew anything about taiki and then even though like I, I don't tune in to kind of see his play, like his story of kind of being, you know, going to be a footballer and then decided to choose league. That's good content. And I know they did one with Trouble Inc. as well. The problem is they didn't do enough. It was kind of very much like they had that Taiki one and then they didn't do anything for about four weeks and then they had the Trouble Inc. one. And so it's kind of like you need that consistency. If you're going to do these kind of packages, you want one every week at least, I sure. think. You know, and I think that's where it needs yeah. to come in. But 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 the Taiki thing would be really good if you like already had viewership, right? Mm, like yeah. then you are promoting Taiki to that viewership. But but interviewing Taiki, similar with Moomoo's, you're not going to be able to convince anyone mm -hmm. to watch NLC on the basis of Taiki versus you know a bunch of no offense like really actually good players on the other on mm -hmm. the other yeah. league, right? Like you can't make the players the focus if your objective is to build viewership, mm -hmm. right? 
Now, this is the opposite of my stance of LEC, where I think they should be far more player-focused, but that's because they have de facto viewership anyway. Uh -huh. They have a full monopoly over it. No one's going to compete with it. They're never going to give co-streaming rights over to anyone else until the league starts fading in viewership like the LCS did, right? That's why uh -huh. they ended up doing co-streaming over there. Um, but when it comes to the ERLs, especially for the NLC, they need to get the viewers in first before they can start capitalizing on it. So I think yeah. focusing on internal content around the casters and creating a casting team that people want to watch and want to follow that will give them something unique to follow that they can only get on the nlc rather than focusing on the players for it where and i think they should focus more on players once they get a good viewership where people will be like well i could follow this guy but he's just the worst version of players on other leagues you can't mm -hmm. compete with that you're not going to yeah. be able to compete mm -hmm. with that right so try to compete with their content yeah i wonder if it even makes a bit of a difference where they've got the stuff with the BBC as well, they're like, maybe mm. sort of a, it's tricky. They might, they've got one hand, they're trying to go for the, like the core league audience and get them in, where like you say, maybe focusing on the casters or something might be easier. But then no. for these newer viewers that they're trying to get at people that don't know League of Legends at all, then it's tricky. Maybe it makes more sense yeah. to focus on the game to actually try and teach them a bit. But then, yeah, at the moment, they, they're kind of not really yeah. going either way. Uh -huh. that much anyway. that's on broadcast yeah and like the point i'm trying to make is that like it doesn't just end there right yeah. like in this off season they can do a bunch of content that doesn't have to be broadcast on the bbc they can do a bunch of like online content that people will tune in for like like other casting groups have mm -hmm. the lfl was, uh -huh. was different the french scene uh had its a, a completely different identity like the french scene was actually like a rotating land-based scene before it became like one stringent league right so there were multiple lands a year it was basically like multiple lands a month at one point. Um, and because of this, the French scene had very fast development of storylines, right? So I remember when Gamers Origin came on the scene, for example, when uh, at a time when LDLC were really dominant, uh, Gamers Origin came on the scene and as they were essentially like a bunch of random high-low players who happened to live near each other and they weren't even exceptionally high-low players, right? They weren't supposed to do anything at the tournament that they initially entered and they won it. And that was insane. Like, it was insane when Gamers Origin won it. But the, the problem is that later that month, there was another tournament. And that tournament had far worse competition, right? Mm. And then Gamers Origin won that. And it's like, all right, they're on a two streak. But, like, the first one could have just been a fluke where, like, none of the teams were, like, respecting them or anything. And then the second one, you know, well, it was a lower sense of competition. Then the third one came in and they beat LDLC twice to win it. Um, they sent them to the lower bracket and then they beat them in the upper bracket. It's okay okay we have a new dominant force in the scene that no one that no one saw coming challenging the mm. ldlc dynasty like immediately like that right and this started like a year-long streak of gamers origin where the narrative like immediately shifted but we could see the narrative shifting not on the basis of like four weeks of bo1s which is terrible for that kind of narrative but based on actual tournament victories mm -hmm. it's not they beat ldlc in like a best of one in the middle of the league no they beat them in finals where it fucking mattered right now we know gamers origin is the real fucking deal uh so then when Gentside came in and had the tournament where they beat vitality ldlc and fucking gamers origin that was a massive fucking deal right because it's like a like a player three has entered the game you know or like but we had storylines changing and evolving so fucking much in the french scene 
um, in a way that it couldn't evolve and adapt in any other scene because they were just doing like best of one league systems, mm -hmm. right? Or best of three if it was Spain. Um, and that was how the French, that was what really differentiated the French team from anyone else was the fact that it was an open circuit tournament. And it was for me a really good preview of what could have happened if like Riot didn't just homogenize the entirety of the LEC. Um, but now we don't have that. Now it's just its own fucking league. Uh, and luckily there are popular enough French streamers that they could then like grab in to do their casting, etc. Um, but that that's how they did it. So, mm -hmm. But no one's ever going to go into that kind of format. So but I like I like talking. What you're saying is bring back the UKLC tower format. Oh, don't. I don't love the tower format. No, no, I actually loved it. But um, the tower format was so fucking good for narratives. It was insane because every single game actually mattered. So for viewership, it's even better because if you care about like Team X that is at the start of the tower, you actually have to watch the rest of the games of the day because any of these fucking teams could be taking on it in, at the end of the tower. Every game also had actual stakes. There was no like unimportant game in a tower format. It's actually vastly better for viewership than than any other kind of format would have been. Although now the data is kind of skewed on that because if you look at the NLC, well, they did a relaunch. They had Twitch featuring them on the front page initially, and they brought on a bunch of Riot casters. But if you didn't do any of that, I'm pretty sure you'd find that Tower format actually had more viewership. I love Tower I would, format. I would agree if there wasn't just the same two sides <laughs> who were really good. Like I was sick and tired of watching fanatic and x and and you know what for maybe for for a wider audience you want to be seeing fanatic and xl if you're probably in the uk at that point because they're, they're the two biggest sides but i just felt like from a regular viewer perspective it got to the point where it's like i just i'm, I'm sick of seeing the same matches um so i think the tower format does work if you had like four or five good sides in there where it could be kind of rotating a little sure. bit more but for me, when when you just had kind of two dominant sides, and yeah, you did have like the upset kind of victories, some uh, you know, partway through it as well, it just didn't. It, it died off for me as it got to the end. I I felt sure. like. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's valid. Do you think tower format might have been better for the current roster of NLC teams? You probably think so. Like there was. Yeah, I would agree. Yeah. Only like you know, obviously Fnatic have been like fairly dominant, but then. Riddle have taken games off them in the playoffs. You could imagine if they played against them a few times in different weeks, you could easily see it, you know, being more than just those two. Like, did did anyone else even win the tower ever? Or maybe, like maybe Diabolus won. Eminem. Like, Eminem won it as okay. well. But yeah, yeah, it was like yeah, like it was nine... the one week where they paid me for coaching. <laughs> <laughs> I think as well. What's um, it's kind of the opposite kind of argument we have for what the format is now is that now I look at it and I think I wanted to see kind of these sides face each other. So while I was while yeah. in the tower format, I was like, I'm sick of seeing these sides facing each other. Now I'm like, oh, but I actually kind of want to see what <laughs> Dusty's like against like yeah. Eminem or, you know, it, so I feel like there just needs to be kind of that balance in between, which could potentially just be a league format, let's be honest. But like, mm. it just, yeah, it, it's funny how they've kind of gone from one way to the other. Where I think, yeah. and, I, and it's not just me, I think viewers are the same, where it's like, oh, I kind of wanted to see the others, how the other groups would have competed. But then I guess you talk about narrative, it did actually kind of create a narrative. Yes. There was like always that conversation of, well, which group was better? You know, was it group A, group B? Which is a, at least a basic narrative that you can kind of um, take, I think. Sure. I, I would say, I think right now, um, towards the start of the split, Trix Esports, for example, I would have expected to take a few towers, uh, for example. I think the league uh -huh. would have been a lot more interesting if um, uh -huh. if it had tower format right now. It's definitely much more competitive than it yeah. was. 
And I think saying that you saw like the same matchup over and over again is a valid criticism. Um, but that being said, there are there are people who like outright skip games that don't matter <laughs> right now. Yeah. So there are theoretically more games people would skip now. But that being said, if they don't want to see BT uh, versus Fnatic again, that's probably a reason to root for all of the other teams in the tower format <laughs> anyway, right? But um, yeah, yeah, no, I think it's a valid criticism if there are just two very dominant teams that tower format can get still. Mm-hmm. So open circuit all the way. <laughs> yeah. Um, <laughs> One other thing I wanted to ask you about then, before we, we do move on uh, to E-Masters, because we've gone almost half an hour already. Um, <laughs> uh, I wanted to ask you, I, I remember, I think it was like about like six months ago or so, you did an article, right, on on like, um, on like Dexerto, I think, about Origin. And I yeah. saw, so was that like the first time you, you, you tried that sort of thing? Is that something you'd think about ever doing again as well? Um, I used to write for the Score Esports back in 2015. Oh, right. Um, so they paid a lot better than Origin did at the time. Um, <laughs> so went from Origin to doing uh, articles for the score back when people actually paid for written content. The Sherto are far more interested in video content right now, um, but they gave me a lot more freedom than um, than even the score did uh, back in the day. It's just that there isn't really much money in uh, written content because even if it gets front page on Reddit, uh, that doesn't actually translate into clicks. Uh, is what I was uh, told, and um, and yet, yeah, like I, I I mean I fully trust on that. So it's not really a, a good way to make money now. Otherwise, I would like if I could, I would just go and try to write multiple articles a week and do all that again. I used to be doing uh, two to three a week. Um, recently, uh, last year actually was it last year? I think it was last year, early last year. Um, in spring split, I was doing an article a week for uh, Lolly Sports, but they literally wouldn't let me uh-huh. do any more than that, right? Because the money just isn't there. Um, but yeah, my my degree is actually uh, in uh, English uh, literature and creative writing, so um, that was actually like an optimal use of my degree was doing writing. <laughs> Nice. I think the problem with Reddit as well, and this is going a little bit out there, is um, is retention rate is not very high. Um, if 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 mm. a, a post makes it onto Reddit, like from the website which I do, which is like sports business and stuff like that, um, like whenever a post has got onto Reddit, um, I immediately know that it's on Reddit because you see the retention rate of those posts oh. just go, they plummet. Like the viewership is high, and that's why I think when in terms of like just from a business perspective, when, mm-hmm. when you're trying to sell kind of like a website to, you know, potential client and stuff for advertising, you kind of look at the, the, the ask two questions, they ask what the viewership is and then what the retention rate is, because you could easily just post so many of these things on social media. Reddit is like, like I said, the big example, you could say like, I've got a hundred thousand clicks a month, but I've got a retention rate of 10 seconds, which means sure. that really you're not going to, they're not clicking, they're clicking on it and reading like the first paragraph and that they're just clicking away so it's not really worth it for for investors and stuff honestly if you want consistent um money for your content there are only really two ways to do it uh, and it's twitch and it's patreon um mm-hmm. and the, the reason is that um people would think that youtube is actually lucrative and youtube is not very lucrative until you get to be a person that is getting like minimum hundred thousand views like a month etc um but even then it's very difficult to monetize it but Outside of the monetization issue, YouTube is actually a terrible way to get a following in general, right? Um, like Loco Doco, for example, was spamming YouTube videos after Listen Loco went downhill, right? Um, and despite the fact that he did all of that, his um, his 
rate of viewership on Twitch and on Twitter. Uh, so like the the, the 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 technical term for it is is escaping me. It's like interactions mm -hmm. or something like this on uh, on Twitter and Twitch mm -hmm. is is was was absurdly low and like basically did not shift. He was literally like a ten viewer average streamer um, because YouTube is essentially just SEO abuse. Um, you just abuse to get on recommendeds and to get on the front page of searches, etc. And if you can do that, your your video will get viewership. But that doesn't necessarily mean you're building a following, right? And building a following is the big thing. Um, so Twitter's good for building a following and then transferring it from Twitter onto Twitch is the big thing to do because Twitch is like the hardest social media to actually do well in mm -hmm. at all. But YouTube doesn't really help with following. But things like Desherto only really want like video scripts now, etc. Um, and to pay you for that. And it's like, well, you can do that, but if you do do that, you're not really going to be able to build a consistent following yeah. to get like consistent money. And if the money runs out on those videos, um, then then you're a bit screwed, right? <laughs> so then Twitch becomes a big deal. So then me having a terrible Airbnb right now in terms of internet is a is, is a massive disadvantage. <laughs> but like, yeah, like it's like content is not as simple as people think. Is the point I'm trying to make? Like, there 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 is no simple route into making it big because even if you think you've made it big on like youtube for example that that may not even translate into a following whatsoever there are vastly more popular people than you that have tried and and have failed in this regard there isn't money in a lot of types of content right now reddit is not like breaking reddit doesn't even get you attention like you're saying mm -hmm. um so it's actually a very difficult scene to break into it requires a lot of luck at the end of the day or do what I did, which is be there at the start, right? If you're there at the start and the vast majority of success stories, people throw at you about how they went through all of this as well, blah, 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 were people who came into the scene in like 2010, all right? Like they have no idea what it's like mm -hmm. trying to get up in the scene right now. So if you are an avid content creator or you are like an org owner or something even, well, first of all, I think you're probably parasitic scum. But if you are like an org owner or something and you're listening to people like Ocelot being like, oh, well, I pushed through all of this, blah, 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 blah. They did it at a completely different time where we all basically rode the wave, right? Like I'm only really relevant right now because I rode the wave. Otherwise, I'd probably be like a bunch of you fucks on Twitter with like 100 followers just yelling into the void, right? With no one listening. Fair enough. It's a fair comment. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's true. I mean, it's just, yeah, it's no, just no, absolutely true. Because, like, the, the way everything is structured anyway, and the way so everything is structured everywhere in life, is that, like, there is a top, and it is a fucking pyramid, and whereas anyone can make it to the top, everyone cannot make it to mm -hmm. the top. Like, that is as true, right? And the vast majority of you are going to fall into the everyone anyway. Um, and not going to fall into the anyone category. And even if you're aiming for it, the vast majority of you will, will have to by necessity fail anyway. And just like when you hear all of these BS stories, the vast majority of them were just people who rode the wave at the start. Or, or well, in, in I, I, place. And I do agree because at the end of the day, like, um, so I'm from a, a sports journalism background. Uh, I, I'm a full-time journalist on a sports journalism yep. in the, in like a gambling and casino website and stuff. That industry is so much easier to get in than what esports is right now. Mm -hmm. I, I, I couldn't sustain myself. If I quit my job, which I wouldn't, I love my job, but if I quit <laughs> my job, uh, I, I would not be able to make it in, in esports journalism because you're right, you do need the following. And, and a lot of it kind of, uh, with the way it yeah. goes now, is that you kind of have to have experience even at a top level. Like if, if someone's a content creator and someone's like, a half decent writer and they were a former league pro and they've got like a following a platform like that they're gonna hire them because at the end of the day yeah. that's what that's what people are looking for you know that's the way that the industry is right now you do also need those people because then you can hire someone like that 
and then maybe hire a journalist under that who can work and kind of build that following and build that quality. So I, I completely agree. Like with the yeah. way that the esports industry is right now, it is very much like uh, you throw you throw a ball and you, you whoever yeah. catches it kind of gets it at this point. And it's like it's very far away from what people would imagine it would be anyway. If you do get the job, um, mm. like for example, over at ESPN, they are they are very much encouraged to diversify. You cannot just be like a League of Legends specialist and yeah. be at ESPN, right? You can barely be an esports specialist right mm-hmm. now and be at ESPN. You are encouraged to go for a bunch of other kind of areas within ESPN as well. If you're over there right now, right? And there are only like three people who are consistently on the payroll over there, and they mm-hmm. aren't even bringing in extra people to do their lists anymore um like the money is not there the golden age if you wanted to get into esports writing was in 2016 um so just 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 after i left esports journalism (laughs) the golden age kind of happened (laughs) which i never regretted i never regretted my tenure on h2k is still some of the best times of my life um uh but but back then that was when yahoo came in right yahoo came in with travis and kelsey and emily and all of that like they they, they got all of like the big stars back in back in the day there mm-hmm. and they paid them all like 125k a year 200k a year, shit like this and then they didn't even make it through the fucking year because there is no money to be made in in esports journalism in that regard mm-hmm. right um people are struggling to make money on the org side of things now there are now two organizations that are profitable in north america but that is massive that is massive because no one else is fucking yeah. profitable. <laughs> no one else can figure this fucking shit out. And those guys are fucking super orgs. They have, uh-huh. they have, they've, they've dipped in every fucking pool, but they mostly rode the wave in every fucking mm-hmm. pool as well. These aren't teams like XL, right? Who, who have essentially recently bought in based on a massive investment that they got very, very recently, right? Those guys are going to struggle a lot harder than those ones. Um, than then the TSMs and the Cloud9s of the world, because the TSMs and the Cloud9s of the world are so massive, operate on such a massive fucking scale, mm-hmm. that eventually they were going to fucking make profit somehow, you know? But they could take more risks than a team like Excel could ever take, right? Yeah. Like, no one knows how to make money right now. Mm-hmm. So you're, you're kidding yourself if you think you're going to consistently get paid here, because even the people at the top are yeah. struggling to get paid right now. That they will be completely fine if everything collapses. You will not be fine if you quit your job that you currently love. Yeah, okay? I know. Yeah, exactly. You will not be fine. <laughs> uh, oh, no, 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 this is a, a 100%. Yeah. I, I, I absolutely like, to be fair, like, it's not like a brag, but like, I, I spent like basically the entire week writing about esports last week. Uh, so this week was the ESI. Uh, digital summer uh, virtual event about yeah. esports business. So I I got given the chance to cover all that for a week. So uh, if you want to see any of the articles, they're uh, they're in the they're in my, they're in my thread. Uh, but that that kind of highlighted that it's not just kind of journalism. It's every bit of esports. Yeah. It's kind of like um, every place. I mean, uh, they were talking about broadcasting at one point, and there's there's no Arabic broadcast in the Middle East right now for some mm. esports. And that's insane. You know, when you kind of look at how. We think that it's hard in like America and, and Europe, but there's other countries it's just even worse. It's so it's such a, a minority right now. Still yeah, I mean, have... even though we're in this bubble. Yeah. I mean when it comes to um when it comes to Saudi Arabia actually. Um, and I, I, I've, 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 I've actually personally received some of these. Um, there, there are people within Saudi Arabia that are very, very interested in just creating an esports scene in general. Like mm-hmm. the Neon Project, for example, um, the prince involved in that um, has actually reached out to multiple people in the scene to try to get them over there to run their esports side over mm-hmm. the graves of everyone that they are forcing <laughs> out. Um, like, like, like they are, like they are taking massive strides over there. But these are the people that you do 
wants to come into the scene if you want the scene to be able to to make money because i've talked about this concept before but like regular sports is also a bubble in this in a similar way that people mm -hmm. call esports a bubble right um now in esports we are getting teams that are profitable and in sports you do have teams that are profitable but you get into international football and the counterweight to all of that that keeps injecting money into the scene is russian billionaires and saudi princes and billionaire children from uh from china etc mm -hmm. that are pumping money in because they essentially use these football teams as toys they don't actually yeah. care about making no, profit sure. We so it's a bunch like... of money coming in that doesn't ever have to come out and they won't ever fucking pull out because of that because it's just a massive fucking game for them, right? And our equivalent of that is China. And it's also partly why China is doing really, really well is that Chinese teams are owned by a bunch of billionaire sons who are crashing their Lamborghinis at the age of 21 and then playing on stage with Jackie Love and forcing Riot to have to change all of their fucking rule sets uh, based around who can and cannot play <laughs> if you are an owner or not. Um, well, I think they won that game, actually. I can't remember they won that game. I think they actually fucking won that game. But they are they are owned by kids who are treating them as toys on daddy's money, right? Mm -hmm. And they aren't going to be asking for a lot of money back. So they are willing to make the investments and take the risks that the coaching staff wants to to win, right? But over in the West, while it, where everyone is still just trying to make money, we don't have any of that kind of stuff coming in. Uh, they're 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 creating the role of the GM, right? The the role of the GM is one of those roles that I think exists purely to say that Marx was correct. Um, where the, the role of the GM is essentially to take. Um, control away from the coach when it comes to the roster because the coach will only take competitive factors into the account the gm will take marketing factors into account right which is why in north america the fact that gms are now running everything is a very very bad thing competitively for the region right you don't really want that sort of a thing you look at the gms that we have in europe or the gm run teams that we have in europe it's what it's origin it's misfits it's teams like this and we look at the teams that are still run uh, predominantly by their coaching staff not to say that all coaches are perfect please never fucking mistake this for that but with the intent clearly being competitivity right um it's like mad lions right they, they, mm -hmm. they essentially entirely built the team around winning. Ocelot is pretty much suicidal when it comes to wanting to win, right? Um, and it happens to be that he can now make money at the same time as winning. Um, but mm -hmm. he was fully willing to give as much control as possible as he could to, to Perks' opinion, right? Um, and to try to create a winning team that way. Like, these are the teams that are doing well. But if we move into a GM format like... Um, like uh, North America has, sure, a bunch of people like you could probably trick owners into getting jobs, but we will lose competitively uh -huh. because of that. This is the thing that's keeping us competitive in China right now. But once we start getting like the big boys coming in and treating all this shit like toys, one day some tech billionaire is going to fucking do that. Right? Oh, I was actually yes, talking yeah. to someone in business in North America one day, and he's like, you say esports is a bubble, but people are profitable right now in North America. Here's how they are profitable, and who fucking cares anyway, because some tech billionaire is going to start treating us like, like Monopoly or one day anyway. And it's like, yeah, that's perfectly true. That's exactly what we have been waiting for the whole fucking time. One day that's going to fucking happen. Hasn't happened yet. North America terrifies me, because North America is what will happen to the scene if that never fucking happens. Um, otherwise, you know, like, we, we'll, we'll just end up, we'll end up never being competitive with China, who will always have this mm -hmm. advantage over us. Mm -hmm. Let's. Um, I think we'll we'll make a segue now into EU Masters. Um, yep, we'll have to it. start eventually. So um, <laughs> before we get into the actual groups themselves and, and start looking at um, yeah, just start looking at sort of the the strength uh, of each side. I did just want to start by talking a bit about the LDLC uh, tie. Uh, well, not really tiebreaker. The the knockout 
um, with Riddle. Obviously, we're sort of mostly focused around the UK scene, which means that we mostly cover the NLC. Um, so Riddle was one of our two chances to have a decent run at EU Masters. Um, they actually looked pretty good, I thought, in groups, and they had, had a good bit of form in the NLC as well. Obviously, they did eventually lose to Fnatic. Um, but against LDLC, it was just... It didn't even look close. And even just starting with the first game, um, I want to get your opinions better. And even just on the draft, because like, I'm not like some high-level analyst or anything, but when I just looked at their draft, I kind of like... I couldn't even work out what like what was supposed to work together. Like They had like Misfortune bot, but then there didn't really seem to be anything that could even sort of lock people up much to, to get a good ulti off or anything. There just didn't seem to be stuff that really matched uh, to me in their comp. So, yeah, what were your thoughts, um, at least on just yeah, no, the Yeah, no, I mean, it's a straight losing draft, but these guys have played really heavily around, like, Maxi's desires beforehand. So when I look at this draft, I think, okay, uh, top lane will have priority on first crash, mid lane will have priority on first crash, and bot lane is screwed the moment that you let Caitlyn Morgana through. Um, but it is a team that was looking heavily for priorities to play through Nidalee, right? Um, the uh, problem with that is that if you aren't giga smurfing on your side of the map on top side and Tinks doesn't like fuck up and just let you free quadrant him, um, then you're going to get heavily outscaled anyway by the composition on the left regardless. You're never going to get that priority on bot side. You're not going to be able to double scuttle him even. Um, the moment that you're on red side and you let over Caitlyn Morgana like this and you don't have a good response to it, then you should really honestly be FFing in this scenario. And then when it gets to later on in the game, even though your mid lane should theoretically have an advantage, um, VTRX kicks champions will just heavily outrange all of your champions anyway and Nidalee becomes functionally useless if she's not hitting a spear. Whereas on the other hand, you have Tinks and Vando creating as much disruption as they possibly can, and then with their ranges, you have no real counterplay versus them at all, right? Um, so I, 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 I thought this was a really terrible fucking draw from Riddle. Like, 100% this is a terrible draw from Riddle. Right now, I think range is king um, in the meta, uh, and so just on that basis, LDLC's composition should be winning. But if you're picking Nidalee and you don't even secure three winning lanes, and you're not really securing like monster strong top side anyway on early phase he's probably going to look to get like a third wave crash into Kulbai. um in which case bando's going to be able to get push on that and then tix will be able to escort and then maxi won't even be able to do anything top side on jungle anyway in that scenario like you 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 limit completely the options for maxi it's far from like the worst jungle matchup that i saw this tournament but like this was this was pretty bad and like in the second composition their comp was better uh, but uh, LDLC's composition just team fights in a way more effective and easy manner than theirs does. I'm not really sure what their composition wants to do outside of straight 1-3-1 with Jin doing half roams. But if you are looking to do that, the easiest way to counter that would be to force heavily on midsection. So you're putting a, a certain level of execution onto uh, your free man mid, which is your bot lane, and Reihei kind of is a massive inter. Uh, I never know if I'm pronouncing his name properly, by the way. Like Raya, but with a bit Raya. more flair. Well, yeah. So, so yeah. So you're you're putting like an awful lot of pressure on Raya and Maxi uh, to to actually be able to pull it off in midsection, um, which isn't going to happen versus the heavy amount of force that is available in LBLC's team. You can't feasibly mm -hmm. expect this of Riddle. Um, all and especially not of those players yeah um so yeah like i thought they lost draft both times um i thought their drafts were fairly confused but also 
it's drafts that would work really well versus like a worse team that isn't expecting it or like a team that is really fucking nervous playing against them or feeling a lot of pressure like a team that won't immediately be able to capitalize on you or be decisive enough to like attack your midsection or be able to respond to your early parving or play aggressive enough to counter it or anything like this like it it, it would abuse a team or in a worse off position than ldlc would be ldlc probably felt really confident coming into this series mm-hmm I think it just felt a bit sad as well. <laughs> like if I'm if I'm if I'm being honest, that was kind of just what I felt like during this series because it, it was I, I and I and I know because it's LDLC and LDLC probably are, you know well they they were the best side in playing. There's no doubt about that. They're probably better than some sides which are actually in the main event anyway. Um, but it kind of felt like after the first game that was kind of riddles run over. As soon as soon as I saw that first game, for me it felt like well. Okay, this is it. This this is the wall which Riddle have, have met, and I know that obviously that you can put the excuse of the, their schedule was absolutely stupid. Like it really was. No team should have to play that amount of games in a row. If I'm being honest, but yeah, it. I felt like kind of Riddle basically gave up after that first game. It did feel like. Unfortunately. I mean, I'm not sure about. LDLC's chances in this tournament and if mm. Riddle are going to get completely rolled over by them then I don't think they were gonna they were gonna do much in the tournament anyway mm-hmm. not gonna lie um, because the interesting thing about this tournament compared to last tournament is that last tournament you were able to play uh, really heavy tank setups on top side so suddenly uh, players like Beansu look like a god and it was easier to disguise the flaws of players like Bando. Um, but right now, like even just looking at the match history, you see across the board, it's like Lilia, it's Camille everywhere. Uh, Gangplank is really popular again, and not just as an anti-tank. Jax is here, Wukong is here, blah, blah, blah. Like a lot of mm-hmm. really heavy carry tops are in the meta now as well. Um, and uh, with that, it's going to be far harder to disguise Bando's flaws, and the way that they have previously been doing that is by having Tinks put heavy priority onto top side rather than just try to snowball bot side as uh, hard as they possibly can. And with doing this, um, when they had stuff like Maokai Sion in top side permanently, um, it was about setting up for Tinks' damage carry. Uh, but now the 2v2 actually matters a lot. Um, so they'll be heavily contested in that, and I don't think they will always win that. Um, and as a result, I'm not sure that they'll be able to mask their big flaw like they were able to mm-hmm. last time. Um, and if Doxy and Maxi weren't able to expose that flaw versus them... Uh, they're not going to be able to expose that floor versus much bigger teams with much stronger 2v2 top sides, like, for example, Mouse Sports, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, or Rogue, or uh, Misfits Premier, or any team like this. Mm-hmm. Fair enough. Let's, um, I think let's move on then and actually take a look then at some of the groups. Um, so what we'll do, we'll just go through each group one by one, talk about you know the, the teams in there, who we think is strongest, um, and yeah, we'll just go from there. So um, starting with group A then, so... Who do you see, first of all, even getting out of that group? So we've got, obviously, I'd say the top three would obviously be Schalke, uh, Kick, and LDLC. Not being harsh to Morningstars, but I don't think many people would give them much of a chance of getting out. Um, so yeah, how do you see this group going? Because we've obviously got LDLC, obviously, like we said, just got through against Riddle. Um, and it's kind of like the worst three match from spring. So we've got Kick and LDLC, both finalists against each other. But like you said, maybe LDLC not quite as... Are strong given the meta as they would have been so do you, do you think they'll 
they'll have much of a chance still because Schalke have looked fairly decent, I suppose, until obviously the uh, the final against Mouse where they got uh, swept. I mean, I, I I never bought into the Schalke hype train even yeah. last year or last year last split. I never really bought into this uh, because Schalke were a team that were that had strong team-based fundamentals. And all I mean with that is that they never took fights on number disadvantage. They never took fights in areas where they didn't have priority uh, and blah, blah, blah. Like really simple system stuff like this, where they were never in a position where you could easily capitalize on them. Or, which more often happens in ERLs, where uh, you just going ham because you had a feeling that you could go ham right now was actually correct. It was never mm -hmm. actually correct versus Shulker that you could go ham at that point. They've been a lot more inconsistent in this specific area. And then once they're inconsistent in that, you find out that the individual talent on that team isn't really there in the way that it is on a team like Mouse Sports. Um, I I think that individually, players like Certus and Sleeping got very very overrated um, in a way that I don't think they 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 necessarily deserved. I think they're good, but I never viewed them as like S tier players. I view Sleeping as like a B tier player, and I viewed Certus as maybe an A tier player. Um, that mid is very competitive in Europe, um, so I wasn't necessarily surprised when they dropped. Um, when they dropped last split, I wouldn't be surprised if they didn't make it out of this group because I don't think when I look at like sleeping plus Lurox that I'm seeing a jungle top that is going to um, make a massive difference versus a jungler like Tinks. Um, and I think VTO is actually performing pretty well. And then Schlatten forces like an absolute maniac um, I on on Kick's side uh, mm -hmm. and. The thing with the thing with Schlatten, I think Schlatten's a bit overrated as well, but I think what Schlatten does is better versus bad teams than what Lorox does. Um, and what Lorox is really good at is in like mid-game split map scenarios. That's when he's really fucking good, but not early game. I don't think Schlatten's good early game either, but what Schlatten does is that Schlatten um, will essentially like oink in the lane and uh and just wait to force on them but he'll do it in really terrible wave states a lot where he shouldn't actually be looking for a gank but it's way too early for him to be realistically escorting the lane in any way but sometimes these guys will just step up for no reason he'll get the fucking gank off um and then the higher level team he goes up against the worse he looks because they stop stepping up right which is why he suddenly looks really bad um, last year around about semis and started getting carried by the rest of his team. Um, but uh, quarters, I mean. Um, but I think that could actually be pretty good versus Schalke um, because Schalke are lacking in these fundamental areas right now. So, yeah. I, I think I think Kick and LDLC coming out over Schalke wouldn't necessarily surprise me. I, I definitely look at Kick um, as like they're, they're the team to lose. Like they're the team which should be top in this group. Uh, for me, I actually look at them and I think they've got... Well, to get Mystiques in, I think they look better than what they did last split. I think they actually look like a, a really good side. They kept, the, kept four of the members, and I think they had an upgrade in having Mystiques in, in my opinion. Um, I think that the playoffs, there's always this side, which when they're, when they're from the playoffs, they uh, the playing, sorry, they can always work their way up because they have that momentum going. LDLC will have that momentum, I think, coming into this group, and I think that will also help. Um, and it, it's not like it's not an unusual thing. It happens a lot of the time in EU Masters. You see a playing group 
who uh, there's always at least one who will dominate and they'll get to at least the semi-finals because they've just had this momentum going through they've kind of had this practice a little bit against yeah weaker sides but still going in so for me if i had to pick two it would be kick top and and then probably ldlc i agree with with schalke i'm very unsure about schalke but i'm unsure with a couple the other prime league sides as well especially kind of the only side i'm really confident in is mouse if i'm being uh, completely honest because despite them having not the greatest start to the season obviously they changed that around and they, and they look like a really really good side going into it but i yeah for me kicks the side to, who should be topping this group and yeah and i would probably edge it to ldlc mm-hmm. Unfortunately, I, I, think, I think ldlc kick then shulker then samsung mm-hmm. would be what i would say um, I also think the reason why teams coming out of play ins end up doing really well is not really to do with momentum. Um, I think it's because there are patch changes between the playoffs that they qualify for EU Masters on mm-hmm. and EU Masters itself. And as a result, um, once the meta shift occurs, what were previously really close results in um, in playoffs would now go the other way on the current Mm. meta right like if you go back to polish league um tank tops were still the predominant thing whereas if you look now it's mostly carry tops um so generally what happens is that the actual top seed of the region is now in play-ins because of a meta shift um Mm. and so they do really well in play-ins and then they do really well in um in the tournament as well and people like oh going through play-ins must be an advantage when actually it's just the fact that we don't do consistent patches for playoffs and worlds or playoffs and eu masters in this case right Mm -hmm. this happens all the fucking time this is why it's the exception rather than the rule that the first place um team in a region will win the world championships right that only happened with skt and recently fpx Mm -hmm. Um, let's take a look at Group B then. So Group B, we've got uh, so we've got Rogue, Movistar Riders, Sup Esports, obviously uh, formerly Energy Pop Wizards, uh, and Gamer Legion being uh, the four seed through uh, play-ins. But um, with Gamer Legion, they've do we would you sort of rate them in, in the top two? It's, like, it's so Gamer hard. Legion is bait. <laughs> Gamer Legion is bait, man. Like. Mm-hmm. Knight, for example, I don't really think is very good. No offense, Knight, if you're watching somehow, but um, uh, he he has a very shallow champ pool. Hianan's shallow champ pool is masked by the fact that his shallow champ pool consists of really weird champions. <laughs> um, Phones is just not good, um, full stop. And uh, Rabble, Rabble needs a lot of work. I think Wisdom is probably the best player on that team, but he doesn't get many optics because he's not doing as many crazy picks as Knight and Hyonan are doing. And they got by mostly because they're doing crazy picks that if you're playing them that week, you won't have scrimmed against that week because you're not scrimming against them, right? But everyone figured mm-hmm. them out by the time of playoffs. Um, and G2 Arctic probably should have beaten them as well. Um, and people would have viewed that as an upset, but... I and it, but it would only really be an upset for me because that would mean that the G2 organization through their consistent policy of just outsourcing their academy team and not giving a flying fuck about it would have finally made EU Masters. Um, I think Gamer Legion's bait. Whereas on Movistar, I still really like Elioia. Um My issue with Movistar is I'm not sure how Beansu's going to do now that we're shifting away from a tank meta. But versus phones, I wouldn't really worry, right? Versus phones, Mm -hmm. Rabble, I think Beansu and Alioia win that. Um, I think Java 
was a very underrated component of their roster, just because somehow Rux is the new treats and has gained the entirety of social media to SSD. Um, but I think he's a very underrated player, so I think they're actually pretty competitive in general. Again, I, I think Knight's really overrated, so I, I, I think Gamer Legion could just not make it out of Group B. I think it could be a very bad tournament for Prime League again, basically, with yeah. um, Mouse Sports being the only team that makes it out. Even them there in the group mm -hmm. up there. And to be fair, that game of Legion, I think that that uh, series against G two that like it wasn't like a, a clean, easy win. Like, I think the first game was nah. like forty five minute, basically. Yeah, whoever wins that fight wins the game, and and then yeah, it was only really game three that was a, a bit more one sided. But it wasn't yeah, it wasn't a convincing series win by any means. Yeah. Who would you say? I think as well. Um, you've got to kind of look at like. I look at Ego Road and I look at Movie Star Riders, and these were two sides which I believe did they make semis? I think was it last split, and they've basically run back the same squad apart from the support for Ego Road. Um, so it's not like an easy group. I, I think they could have been put into another group, and it might have been a little bit different. But for me, yeah, I, I look at Movie Star and I do look at Ego Road, and especially seeing Game of Legion in playoffs, I'm just not convinced by them. I, re I really not. Do you think it could be the case with Gamer Legion, like where you say, I don't know, maybe Hyana does have like some a bit of a weird pool and stuff. Do you see that that might help at least just in like the best of one group stage, but they maybe just wouldn't get far in knockouts? I mean, if these guys are really incompetent, sure, but they would just be playing off their incompetency. Mm -hmm. Like they should do their research. There are no new picks that they're going to bring out. These guys don't bring out anything new. They just bring out consistently weird stuff you won't have scrimmed against. But you can do your research at this point. That's why everyone had their mm -hmm. numbers in playoffs. Mm -hmm. Maybe they do end up choosing a game because of it or something. But the most the most weird thing they'll do is like a lane swap scenario of like Scion, Jinx, and Ziggs or something like this, right? But these are things that are known quantities. So it's really on those teams that they get caught out by them. Fair enough. Um, let's take a look at Group C then. Group C, we've got the the third Polish side um so the third seed from Poland but then this group this group is something else like, <laughs> uh, <laughs> and then we've got obviously the the Greek um I think it was the Greek first seed is it or second seed I'm not sure um and then we've got Misfits and Vodafone Giants um would you, I, I look at this and the first thing I thought thought was like if only you know one of our Fnatic or Riddle could have made their way into here because like we kind of talked about it um me and Tom at least um, I think it was just in, in the DMs like we've seen Ultra League get this extra seed and it may just be you know salty that the NLC didn't get it but it kind of feels like the third team like they don't really have a third team that's that's going to do much like what what do you make of um, of Pompa team of Pompa team yeah. Jesus of all the <laughs> fucking questions I thought I was going to be asked I definitely <laughs> didn't think I was going to be asked this today um so I like Pompa Team's mid, who I will butcher the pronunciation of probably if I ever if I ever tried. Yeah, they're all um, quite 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 complicated. <laughs> wait, actually, they have a thing on Leakpedia. No, we're, okay, no, <laughs> I think it's for this day. Mm. <laughs> no, no, not even trying. It's going to be like Sarsviak <laughs> or something like this. Yeah. But I I like him. Um, my I I I don't expect this roster to make it out. Um, I don't expect this horse to make it out at all. So, whereas I do like their mid laner, I think that uh, the former Devils one, which they the majority of these players are from, mm -hmm. right, was was God man. 
Uh, it is so Devils One was an exceptionally good team before they got these guys, and the problem with these guys is whereas initially they were showing at least half decent fundamentals, um, they've never had the individual talent there, and their jungle support has pretty much never looked like it's understood any sort of proper aspect of map play in general. I actually think with Poland, you get like a really weird um, dichotomy where like there's a massive drop down after like the top two. It's the most absurdly top heavy region of any fucking region in the ERLs, right? Um, to the point where I didn't even come prepared for Pompatine because I figured we were just <laughs> we were just gonna hundred percent write them off. I like their mid, but I I think these guys need like a lot more coaching and fundamentals before they're going to be a massive challenge uh, challenger to any of these teams. Yeah. Like I I I look at these teams and I think that um, with Mystics Premier, for example, um, there's no way they do anything to their top or their bot lane. There's mm -hmm. just way too much individual talent on that, and I think their jungle support is not going to be able to shut down. What is it? A kind of lackluster jungle support system that Mystics Premier are running. Um, but Kire revels in a team that is worse than him on an individual mm -hmm. basis anyway. Like, he really loves elongated map split scenarios where he can just permanently make individual plays on side lanes. Uh, and this team will just give it to him. This team will just give it to him. Um, on Vodafone's side, I think that I think the bot half of their map is one of the most absurdly talented bot halves of the map in the whole of the ERLs. Even though Pretty has been there since time immemorial, uh, and Attila is a world's player, like obviously mm -hmm. it, it, it would seem like a natural thing to say. But uh, Dote, I think, is one of the best supports in the region. And if you don't have a good jungle support system, you will get caught out here, if not just by him alone, to be honest. Uh, and then. With D'Antonio, I mean, don't give him Cho'Gath, don't give him Scion, mm -hmm. and then he has to default to either Irelia or Poppy, historically. Um, but just don't give him those champions, uh, and maybe you have, like, a chance of abusing that, but this is not the team that's going to take advantage of it. I think this is Premier's a team that could take advantage of that. But if you are burning your bands on D'Antonio, pretty Attila and don't get everything that they want, um, and then... If they get everything they want and bottom half of the map is just going to be theirs for the entire time, you're probably not going to be able to five level Llama Bear like Tinks did once. Mm -hmm. um, so I, I I don't really see Pompatine really doing much here. I don't think they have the fundamental things you need to be competitive with the top teams. Um, but you know what, maybe I'll end up eating my words. Uh, <laughs> we'll see. No, I only wanted to ask about that because, um, yeah, just I think because we're a bit salty about the seeding, not going to lie. I think it is a top. It is a it is a top two. But then again, if I'm being completely honest, apart from this split, you could probably argue that it was a top two in the UK and the in the UK scene as well. So. Yeah, true. Yeah, uh, but so I, it's funny getting your t it's funny getting your opinion on on Vodafone Giants because I kind of looked at this group and my immediate opinion was, well, this is just Misfits Premier. Like I, I kind of looked at that and I thought, well, Misfits Premier, for me, look like one of the best sides in EU Masters. Uh, so it's interesting to see kind of like have it. I, I think because I think because and I I actually put in this um, I I I think a lot of people underrate Pretty and I think that's another thing is because I think he is consistent um, I think he's he's good at kind of he's a good you know ERL player I don't think he's ever going to amount to anything more but I think he's consistent but I kind of look at Misfits Premier and I I don't know if it's because it's the most team with Fnatic Rising former members in in, <laughs> in Targmas and Ronaldo but I kind of counted out everybody else and I, I thought that it would be Vodafone second but. How how good are Misfits Premier then? Do you not think that I thought that they were the best side coming into EU Masters? 
I don't know if they're the best side. I don't have a super favorable view of their mid lane. Um, mm. And I think Kire works in very specific circumstances. I also think Jezu... Um, I really like... I, I, I liked the initial things I saw from Jezu in terms of his team fighting um, and specifically his positioning in that scenario. But uh, I think the biggest strength from them is still Targamas and Aggressivo. Mm -hmm. Um, I'm just interested to see how the meta shifts with the spellbook nerfs, because that will tell me a lot about the relative strength of Ronaldo versus Pretty, because mm -hmm. Pretty is not a assassin player historically. Um, this has always been a massive blind spot for him, which I even abused in Challenger series myself. Um, by blind picking Corky into him with Zed open, knowing that he literally didn't have a single game of Zed across any of his accounts ever in his entire life. Um, and the spellbook nerfs, the, the the big thing that they bring back is assassins, because mm -hmm. previously versus a big assassin, you would just go until spellbook, you would retain TP, but you'd also have exhaust, barrier, heal, blah, 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 everything that you would need to survive from an assassin as well without having to give up that free base that you could otherwise get if they are able to burn through all of your shit. Um, the Unsealed Spellbook nerf potentially brings Assassins back in, and then Pretty could struggle. But if it doesn't bring Assassins in in force, then Pretty's mage base champ pool is actually perfect for this specific tournament. Mm. Um, and then I actually would start to favor him over Ronaldo. I think Ronaldo's always been uh, overrated. I'm not quite sure how it began. Um, <laughs> but, but, I mean... I, he he had a he had a massive buyout from Fnatic actually that they that that Misfits paid for and they just never fucking used him on the main team. It was really funny actually, but I I but there there was like a mystique behind uh, Ronaldo for some reason that people were really buying into even though he's like a diamond one player. Um, but yeah, I I I worry a bit about Jezu because even though initially I really liked his positioning and stuff in team fights, that's still the most I can say about him. Um, mm. His laning isn't like exceptional. Um, I think Targamas kind of carries a lot of the weight on that bot lane right now. Um, but I, I see windows for Attila and Adota, therefore, to actually do really well. Potential window for Pretty to do really, really well. And then it's about Aggressivo Kire trying to carry their half of the map harder than him. I don't think it's as clear cut as you're saying. Mm. Yeah. I, I always presume with Ronaldo going there, wasn't it? Uh, Jandro was the coach at. At Fnatic and then at Misfits, yeah. I just presume that, yeah. Just... But what did well, what did Hanjo see them? Like, I still that doesn't answer anything. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I mean, by that didn't Hanjo see him as a support? Like by that logic, <laughs> he saw him as a support and then they put him in. He saw mid him as three different roles. <laughs> yeah, like... He saw him as three different roles. Like, uh, should we talk about WLG or are we just kind of thinking that they're just going to be bottom? I feel a bit sad actually because. I mean... Well, I, I, I actually really liked Paris. Um, every time I've seen Paris play, I've actually really mm -hmm. liked him. Um, but, but other than that, yeah, I, I, I am assuming this is the team that's going to be uh, bottom there. But the mm -hmm. WLG have actually historically had upsets, uh, but they've never had upsets to the point where they were actually threatening to leave their group. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. Okay. Um... Then, yeah, moving on then to the last group. So we do have our final NLC survivor um, in Fnatic Rising, but they've you know, group. <laughs> found themselves in a bit of a tricky group, I think. So they've got Gamers Origin um, and Mouse and then Intrepid Fox as um, the other uh, Greek seed as well. How do we rate Fnatic's chances of getting out then? I don't... Yeah. 
better jungler wins. Well, yeah, to be fair, I was thinking like this, this is like a huge tournament, I think, for Dan, because we've, we've seen him now in the, mm-hmm. the last couple of years, really, in the UKLC and the NLC, and he, he still does look like clearly the best jungler in that league. He, to be honest, looks like he doesn't belong in that league anymore. Um, and for NLC viewers, I'm sure that, you know, a lot of them are hoping he can at least get a chance, maybe if not straight in the LEC, at least on another academy team that's probably more willing to to do some changes around. And for me, this this is a tournament for him where, yeah, it's like obviously the last thing he's going to play in this year. Um, and I think it's really huge that, that he has a bit of success. But obviously, you know, like we said, found himself in a pretty difficult group. How do we rate Fnatic's chances of actually uh, of getting out then and, and making a run? I mean, Dan's is the Delhi C for a long time. The three um, ERL junglers who actually understand jungling are Dan, Tinks, and Shinkov. Um, and then after that, uh, Zanzibar needs to work on pool, though I do think he understands the fundamentals of jungling. He needs to work on pool. Uh, and Blue Azor sometimes looks like he understands the fundamentals of jungling which to me indicates that he doesn't actually understand the fundamentals he just sometimes is incidentally correct right um so i i think i think there's I, there's a massive drop off after you get to the initial three that i named versus all the other junglers Zanzara is the one that is closest to threatening and then maybe blue Azor. but it's that blue Azor might one day realize what he is consistently doing that is correct um and throw out all the stuff that is wrong um i'm not sure he's going to do it in the space of this tournament though uh, but i think obsess is going to get completely destroyed by dan but then it's about leader versus magic felix right because as a jungler you can't really do much if your laners aren't able to get priority and play with you um they paint the you 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 paint the outline but they have to color it in kind of mm-hmm. deal um i also think when it comes to top side uh shemek has always historically had a resurgence when it comes to eu masters so he might be able to do a lot here versus pride uh tolkien it, there's a lot of hype around him right now and i'm not quite sure where it comes from they kind of leave him alone and he keeps getting mordekaiser uh, and then people are shocked that he's winning like that um but that seems to be the the game plan for him um but then when it comes to bot lane i'm actually quite worried about that because mr love rap aka bravado um is uh is i i feel like he's going to struggle versus mouse sports um, he is struggling anyway in the NLC. Um, and X Matty, who I think is a very strong AD carry, kind of ends up being let down by him a lot. I was amazed when he got MVP um, in the finals in NLC, actually. I have no idea who he paid to get that. <laughs> he, looked, he looked to me like he was running it in that series for sure. Um, I'm kind of worried about the bot lane as a whole as a result of that in the tournament. Major Felix kind of depends on how important the game is, I guess, is what the cliche is. But I think he'll beat Takui. And then it's a case of what he does versus Leader, because now there are spellbook nerfs, so Leader might actually be like ridiculously mm-hmm. strong in this tournament. Um, and then if these pieces are falling, I don't think there's anything Dan could do to get them out. But I would be willing to say that they can beat Gamers Origin as is, because I think Houston Beast is pretty bad anyway, um, and Matty is better than Smiley, uh, and Magic Felix is better than Takui, uh, and Pride, I mean, we'll see what happens with Shemek, but then Dan just has to worry about topside, right? And Dan will have options in that game to play around, and he will be the better jungler versus Blue Azor. Mm-hmm. Um, depends. If Blue Azor comes in with a level 1 plan and plays hard and fast, he knows 
how to snowball the fuck out of that. If he's denied a level one plan where he plays hard and fast, then I think Dan will be able to to beat him handily. Uh, a lot of it will come down to draft, obviously. Sorry about this. A lot of that will come down to draft, obviously. Uh, but I think versus Gamers Origin, Dan has the best chance. And then versus Mouse Sports, Obsess isn't going to do anything to stifle Dan. Um, but his laners could prevent him doing anything. And Mouse Sports historically will be willing to draft stuff like Callista Tarek bot lane with priority top lane from Tolkien, like a Mordekai's or some shit, and then just play heavily for a leader's lane with Promiscue, etc. Uh, but that will shut down Dan's ability to really do much either. Or he could watch uh, a bunch of footage of Obsess and realize Obsess isn't going to play properly around that parving and just create a bunch of artificial holes for him to snowball anyway. That could actually be pretty good versus them. Um, so I think they make it out, and I think maybe Gamers Origin miss out on making it out of this group, and that would be uh, kind of a big upset for France, I think. I think they, they're looking at this and thinking they're going to get Gamers Origin out, but I think it will just be Mrs. Premier for them. Mm-hmm. And oh, and I, think, I think the way that I, I put it was, out of the French sides which Fnatic could have got, I'm glad that it's Gamers Origin, I think, <laughs> out of all cool. of them, I mean. Um, and oh, I don't yeah. think that necessarily means that they're a bad side. I just think, obviously, with the options available, I'm glad that it, it was Game of Origin. I do think that what gives me more confidence with Fnatic is the fact that while I do think that Bravado isn't like the t- the best player, obviously, in, in Fnatic's side, he has improved over what he has been doing over the uh, over a split, and same with Pride. And those were always, and you know, from the beginning of the split, always throughout, it's always been... Yeah, you've got that good three of like Dan, Magi Felix, and X Matty, but have the other two kind of improved from what it was last split? And I do think they have got better. Um, I do think obviously you're talking about like Callista Tarek. I do think if you if you try that against Fnatic Rising, I think you run the risk of maybe Bravado getting the Tarek, and you don't want that to happen. I think at all. Um, so I do think that it is going to be probably Fnatic then Mouse. But I agree. I think that the leader Magifelix matchup is going to be so, so interesting to see how kind of what Magifelix are we kind of going to get, I think, in terms of the style of play as well, because we've seen him a lot more on like Roma's this split, you know, with like Twisty Fett and Galio. But obviously, Meta's kind of changing a little bit more. Um, I don't want to see kind of Magifelix go for, you know, a full on fight with leader. I want him to play a little bit smarter and kind of play around the team. But uh, he, he could easily be a type of player where he kind of wants to beat leader in lane. He, he feels like that type of player who kind of wants to show that he still has that ability. So that is the Magic matchup Felix. I'm definitely looking for. <laughs> yeah, I think so. I think he'd want the guy to prove who, The guy who played Azir versus Akali and just kept the lane in the middle for the entirety of pre-6? <laughs> definitely not. This guy, this guy would rather cut off his left arm than with <laughs> Like, he... <laughs> He's never, no, that's definitely not how Magic Felix rolls. He's not going to try to like hard press Leader, and Leader is a massive blind spot mm-hmm. for him historically because he knows that Leader will kill him if he missteps. So he plays too safe, if anything. So I, I disagree with that. I disagree okay. with that entirely. Um, I think it will be like the opposite of what you just said. Do you see the. Uh... Which is an issue for Dan. Yeah. Sure. Uh, do you see the, the meta sort of generally going against Magic Felix then? Because if you, like you said, you know, it's sort of veering more towards assassins you know he does look most comfortable on those maybe those kind of safer picks like a, a lot of corky azir like twisted fate and stuff that we've seen um yeah throughout his time on fnatic really so do you see that he could struggle with even if they do try and well if and when they they get out yeah. of groups against and, and leads yeah. yeah and leader could actually resurge with that 
is like the bigger point i think mm -hmm. um because because this matchup suddenly becomes a massive rather than akali being like a niche pick that leader that leader did here that was a tournament where leader had to do like azir and shit like this just because the meta was heavily demanding it right i do think though that he has expanded into stuff like set right so stuff like this could actually be pretty good versus assassins okay. still um his galio could still be pretty good but his twisted fate that he's had all his best performances on this year um that could be on its way out now um with the spellbook nerfs um and leader could really want you to be blinding that early he could just mm -hmm. come in and bring an assassin in on that um so that can be an issue i think that um i i'd be interested to see how his galio adapts to it um, I think Predator Galio is actually really good tech right now if he wants to just avoid leader the whole goddamn time. Um, because with Predator Galio, you rush boots the swiftness and that counters the slow on your W. Um, and then you just use Predator to gank side lanes perm and there's nothing scarier than a Galio running at you with W activated as if it's not slowing him down because it isn't <laughs> slowing him down if you rush swiftness boots. Um, but you do seed like heavy lane um, advantage for it um but he kind of does that versus leader anyway so veering in more that direction could be could be that could be something that they could try to do but you could also maybe just put dan on some certain picks that could maybe counter leaders champ pool in assassins mm -hmm. so something with real gank priority and heavy cc um could could be something you could do and just permanently gank leader on midsection because magic felix will manipulate the wave to his side anyway these are the kinds of things that they could try to do to get around that issue but that is assuming that pride doesn't get shafted by tolkien in the top lane and that bot lane isn't getting shafted 2v2 uh -huh. because if those things are happening mouse probably come out on top and i i i do see that happening like i think it would be mouse first fanatic second origin third mm -hmm. and then um yeah, moving on for the group then, and and to sort of start bringing uh, this episode to a close. Oh, I did wait, uh, and well done in Intrepid Fox for getting in this group. <laughs> as well. They got in. That's all that matters to them, I think, at this point. Yeah. <laughs> like... yeah. We won't we won't mention the seeding of or lack of it in uh, in plans either. Um, but yeah, just to to kind of bring it to then, then who do you see as being the the kind of overall favourite? Then who do you think is most likely to actually win the whole thing? Um, I'd imagine. Mm. You know, not rating LDLC's chances too high of uh, of retaining it as a holders. I mean, I think it will be one of Mouse Sports Misses Premier or Rogue. That would be what I would say from the outset. Um, but this is another tournament where it's kind of too close to call. Um, but there, but I would say it's those three. If I thought it was close enough to call, I would call it. I was completely <laughs> correct both times last year when I called it. So I'll I'll. I'll say that. Um but maybe LDLC surprise me and make it up there. But I, I doubt it. I think it I think it will be one of Rogue Misses Premier or Mouse Sports. Mm -hmm. Probably not Fnatic though, sorry. Fair enough. To be fair, for for me, I yeah, I would have thought Mouse most likely, to be honest. Like when um in spring, like I think without doing too much research, I was thinking I just like look at Mouse's lineup, I was like, Yeah, sure, like they'll definitely win. And then obviously they you know, they hadn't they hadn't played like like the uh, the team sheet kind of looks uh, or that kind of strength anyway, but then this time around we have obviously seen them actually picking it up. The final against um, against Schalke was was very one sided. Mm -hmm. I think yeah, with that momentum, they would be uh, favourites for me. I think I I would go for Misfits, but I can also see maybe Kick also you know pulling pulling another one of those styles. It depends because um, I I really do think that obviously Mystiques is 
a big pickup for Kick. But if I do have to look, I know it's like for me, Misfits Premier look like the favourites, and probably, probably you're going to win it. But I do agree that there are there are like other good sides which I think could yeah. easily contest. Mm-hmm. Definitely no love for Rogue <laughs> <laughs> because they nicked our bloody seed. That's why. <laughs> Rogue have Rogue have uh, Sigenda and Zanzibar. Um so they are, they have actually a massively stacked roster, mm-hmm. to be honest. Um like Better Jungler does not win when it gets to higher levels of EU Masters, because then you get to a point where the skill discrepancy between lanes is so massive that jungle is almost irrelevant yeah. because they don't they aren't able to play out their win conditions anyway, they're mm-hmm. at the mercy of their lanes because the skill discrepancy is that large, which is why Obsess and Donuts won EU Masters last year, right? Despite being two of the worst junglers in that tournament, it didn't matter because their laners were so hard winning that better junglers were not able to do anything versus them. Um, the only really interesting jungle matchup that we got in the uh, last tournament was actually Zanzara versus Tinks. Um, mm. especially in the last game where Zanzara was legit one HP away from just completely destroying Tinks, Jarvan versus Graves. Um, but uh, when it gets to that stage, like you have to look at who has the better laners. Stuff like Kirei becomes irrelevant, Obsessed becomes irrelevant. It becomes about do we really think Ronaldo won't get rolled over by leader? Um, mm-hmm. Do we think Tolkien will be able to stand up to Aggressivo at all? Um, do we think anyone will challenge Segenda at all in this tournament? Probably not. So then, given that, um, we're about mid lane then. Well, then we look at mid lane and they, their mid laner, Shaco Lad, is actually obscenely good i thought he he looked like uh he was the only guy last split who i gave mvp to in a game that he lost during the tournament he was the only guy because he was just so hard 1v9ing that game um what about will like trimby then well maybe that's where they could start dropping to say mouse sports but then they have two winning mm-hmm. lanes and one losing well then is that enough for obsess maybe that's enough to disguise the obsess issue um but that could also go either way um, rogue v mouse sports so we're like a rogue then look really like re- like rogue and mouse sports then look like they can compete with each other heavily to me can mouse sports in a similar regard maybe can i do that with any other team in this tournament no then it becomes like bando v Segenda is just so one-sided it's not even worth talking about right <laughs> like this kind of stuff starts happening which is why i kind of i kind of uh, go towards those three teams specifically mm-hmm. um just maybe one more thing to touch on then before we finish up is just the the kind of general meta that we're likely to see for the tournament because one thing with EMASA Spring I wasn't a fan of the meta too much like it was like Trundle every game and uh, it was like Trundle and then <laughs> Azir Corky and it was I don't know it was like boring like you because you kind of got the the thing a lot of the time where the observers can like pretty much ignore top lane because half the time nothing's really going to be happening but then we had the point where it was even the same mid lane just Azir Corky nothing was going to happen it's like half three quarters of the map they couldn't even look at because yeah, like not much would be going on. So um, I, for one, would be very happy if it does veer more into assassins uh, mid at yeah. least and and see a bit more going on there. And I think the top lane meta has been pretty decent as well, mm-hmm. like champions that can actually yeah, kill each other. Good. So um, yep. yeah, what do you make of the meta? What do you see being strongest over your masters? I see a meta where the individual talent on mouse sports could actually do pretty well. Um, so. Bot lane is still heavily on range, but it's heavily on range in a very damage-focused way, because now we have, like, um, 
full AD Caitlyn, for example, on bot lane. And then to respond to that, you're going to have to go something like Jinx or something like Ash or stuff like this. Um, really heavy team fight based champions. So a lot of the utility and a lot of the um, team fighting is being shifted down towards like bot side fight. But you'll have assassins and split pushers on top and mid. So with that range on bot side, you're actually looking more into like 1-3-1 one one compositions, right? Whereas last tournament, it was all about tank top into UG smash everywhere. Um, so yeah, I think the meta for this tournament is going to be a lot more exciting and a lot better for rookies because you want to be able to see an environment where individual talent can display itself. And if everyone is 1-3-1-ing, you're going to mm -hmm. see a lot more isolated skirmishes or isolated one-on-ones that will allow these players to not just look good, but look obviously good, right? And it has to be obvious for the viewer to actually ascertain if they are good or not. Most viewers don't really understand what is like good jungle parving or good macro or good any of this stuff, but they understand if you want a one-on-one, -on -one, right? Like they understand that. So you'll have a lot more scenarios like that and it'll probably be a lot more exciting to watch. Mm -hmm. Sounds good. Um, right then, with that, I think we can finish up with this episode. So uh, thanks for coming on. Been good to have you on. No problem. Uh, yeah, good, uh, really insightful episode, I think. And for anyone that's uh, still watching on Twitch, uh, has been watching it live, you can follow on there as well for for any future episodes. Otherwise, if you're listening back later on on either YouTube or Spotify, you can follow there too. Um, and for anyone that is watching, you know, on any platform, you can see our Twitters on the screen as well. So uh, do feel free to drop us all a follow. And yeah, that's it. Thanks for listening.